0: Kohar, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Before I jump into the podcast, I want to talk to you about a nonprofit that is dear to my heart and that I think basketball fans will want to support. I've been Peace Players' biggest fan over the past 15 years. Peace Players is the perfect combination of my two biggest passions, basketball and peace building. The nonprofit brings together young people in divided communities in the Middle East, Northern Ireland, Cyprus, South Africa, and they're here in the US in Chicago, LA, Brooklyn, Detroit, and Baltimore, bringing young people together through the game of basketball. NBA luminaries like Steve Kerr, R.C. Buford, and Sam Presti sit on the board. As many of you know, the game has a powerful ability to heal wounds and bridge divides and teach collaborative problem-solving the impact they have had on me and on the new book I just wrote dangerous love has been life-changing I've made over 50 trips to the Middle East and dozens to other peace players sites as a volunteer consultant and board member I believe deeply that the work they are doing is the key to creating sustainable peace and I know they like so many other NGOs are hurting in the wake of COVID-19. So we're kicking off our two weeks of the NBA Big Board Dangerous Love Peace Players campaign. I will be donating all of my profits to my new book, Dangerous Love, over the next two weeks if you pre-order the book now when you head over to www.dangerouslovebook.com. I have also just recorded an episode of my other podcast, The Dangerous Love Pod, featuring some of my favorite Peace Player participants from the Middle East, Doha and Toot. They take us through an incredible journey of how being a part of Peace Players and a championship team for the last several years has completely changed their lives. It is powerful, to say the least. You can tune into the podcast and pre-order the book at this special link. Go to www.dangerouslovebook.com. I will donate all of my profits if you click on the link and buy the book, please consider supporting peace players to help an important world-changing cause. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. It's like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Welcome back, John. Aloha, Chad. All right. I like the aloha. That was an enthusiastic aloha. (laughs) Appreciate that. It's important. Okay. We're back with another redraft, 2008. And if you remember from our past redrafts, we are going to do this in the form of a mock draft. And in that mock draft, we are going to alternate taking picks. We're going to do it based off of hindsight and really looking at what the best pick would have been or should have been in the draft. 2008 is an interesting draft. There was a lot of buzz in this draft, John. Yeah.
1: And with reason, as it turns out, but probably turned out a little differently than than people thought at the end of the day. Um you know, we talk about using analytics in the draft and we talk about the importance of doing background on players too. And I mean, the guy in this draft, I mean, Michael Beasley, who was the second overall pick, his analytics blew up the machine, but obviously he didn't make it uh, long-term as a pro for other reasons that had nothing to do with analytics.
0: Right. And you look at the top of this draft and Derek Rose, Michael Beasley, OJ Mayo, we'll talk about him, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love. There was a A lot of very highly touted preps in this draft, guys that had gotten a lot of buzz. There's just a lot of excitement there. Let's recap what happened in the lottery, the 2008 draft. The Chicago Bulls had the number one pick. They took local hometown hero Derek Rose, who was a freshman out of Memphis. The Heat had the number two pick in the draft. They took Michael Beasley out of Kansas State, who had an awesome, awesome freshman season or Kansas State. The Minnesota Timberwolves had the third pick in the draft. They selected O.J. Mayo out of USC, but then traded him to Memphis for Kevin Love. They essentially swapped picks three through five. And O.J. Mayo, major, major buzz on O.J. Mayo from high school on. The fourth pick in the draft, the Seattle Supersonics. Took Russell Westbrook out of UCLA. A little bit of a surprise pick that Westbrook went this early. Turned out to be a really, really great call for Sam Presti. Fifth pick in the draft was Kevin Love, who gets traded to Minnesota out of UCLA. Another prep legend Kevin Love was for years. Uh, The Knicks had the sixth pick in the draft. They took Danilo Gallinari out of Italy. The hot European name at the time. Many, many people very, very high on him. At the seventh pick in the draft, the Clippers took Eric Gordon, a freshman out of Indiana. Another very highly touted prep star in high school. Eighth pick in the draft, the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh boy. Joe Alexander out of West Virginia.
1: Wah, wah.
0: I'll tell the Joe Alexander story a little bit later in the podcast. Number <laughs> ninth pick. Charlotte Hornets, DJ Augustine out of Texas. Number 10th, New Jersey Nets, Brooke Lopez out of Stanford. 11th pick in the draft, Indiana Pacers, Jared Bayless out of Arizona. 12th pick in the draft, Sacramento Kings, Jason Thompson out of Ryder University. Don't get to say that every day. 13th pick in the draft, Kansas City, Homer, Kansas, Homer, Portland Trailblazers select Brandon Rush. The Rush Brothers can't be taking not Kansas not just guys. Kansas, Kansas City. That 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 actually raised and <laughs> elevated it even higher. And with the 14th <laughs> pick in the draft, the Golden State Warriors selected Anthony Randolph out of LSU. Well, the redraft isn't going to look anything like what happened on draft night for a lot of different and wow. unusual reasons. There, uh, in in this particular case, I think this is going to be a fun redraft to tackle. John, I'm gonna give you the first pick in the draft You're the Chicago Bulls. Derrick Rose is on the board. He's a hometown hero. He plays for Memphis, has an incredible NCAA tournament. Are you gonna take him number one? You know what? In hindsight, I'm not. We're gonna pass, by the way, on the former MVP of the entire league at number one.
1: And that's not who he's gonna take, okay. I will take an MVP of the entire league though. I will take Russell Westbrook number one. And obviously, his, his staying power at that level was much higher than Derrick Rose's, and that's the different, difference in their career arcs. Uh, but he, he, to me, is the guy from this draft who uh, is on the most clear Hall of Fame trajectory and uh, you know capable of being the best player on a, on a really good team. Uh, so, th- no-brainer, number one pick for me.
0: And it's interesting, when you look at Rose, Beasley, Mayo, Love, Eric Gordon – Huge, huge prep stars. Guys that had major buzz starting from like being a junior in high school. O.J. Mayo was actually eighth grade. It was when yep. the buzz started for him. He landed on a cover of Sports Illustrated. Russell Westbrook was the guy that wasn't that guy. He kind of came out of nowhere, but man, was he one of the freakiest athletes I've ever, ever seen coming into the draft. I think the question was, what else was he going to have to his game besides that freakish athleticism and that competitiveness and motor. And he's really developed as a basketball player.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that he was so athletic that he could get on the floor right away really helped his progression as a point guard. I think if he had just been, you know, 10 minutes a game and 12 G league games or whatever, I, I think it would have been a lot harder for him. But if you're athletic enough to get on the floor right away, at a young age, I think that really helps your development trajectory, especially from the guard spots. A historic triple-double producer in the league, Russell Westbrook, averaged
0: a triple-double in an NBA season. What is it about his game that
1: makes him so special in your mind? I I mean, I think it's just it's the athleticism and the motor. I, I think it's just, even at the NBA level, those two things are overwhelming, and he... He's, he's so, he's so good. Uh, One, you know, burst his burst, just getting, getting past guys, getting elevation, uh, getting, getting to the rim, just constantly, constantly, constantly putting pressure on the defense. And he just doesn't stop. He's relentless as a player. If there's a knock against Westbrook, it seems
0: like he's a hard player to build a team around and to play with. Kevin Durant leaves Oklahoma city. They go play with the Warriors. There was a time when we really thought the Thunder were going to be the it team. They were going to be the dynasty in the league. Is his game suited to being that that can lead a team to a championship? Or is he too selfish in the way that he plays the game?
1: Well, you know, they got to the finals with him. They could potentially have gotten another one if he hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, my first year in Memphis, right? He hurt his knee. They were the number one seed in the West, and we beat them in the second round when Westbrook was injured. So it's correct that he hasn't won a championship, but there have been a lot of great players who haven't won a championship, and that doesn't exclude them from being a player who could win a championship on the right team. So I – I think it's a. He is a difficult player to play with, no question. You 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 need certain pieces around him that fit correctly because he's going to be so high usage, and the guys around him aren't going to maybe see the ball as much as they would like, and that's just a fact of life. And also, they can't ever get a rebound off an opponent miss free throw. Uh, so there, there's going to be that, but uh, I mean, just an
0: awesome talent though. I love him. I, I think the criticisms against him have been fairly unwarranted in this particular case, as you point out. It's very, very, you know, one team a year wins an NBA championship. There's a lot of factors that go into that. I think Russell Westbrook has just been an awesome, awesome NBA player. I love him. I love the way he approaches the game. Never takes a second off. And watching the last dance and watching the Bulls and watching a young Michael Jordan, you see some of that competitiveness and tenacity in Westbrook, that you saw in Jordan,
1: yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, pro- probably the one guy from this generation who comes closest to that in terms of of just having that drive and bringing it every single night. And, uh, you know, you can question sometimes exactly the way he channeled it. Although some of it had to do with just where his skill level was at a player as a player too. I think, um. Uh, But no question about how hot that motor. We talk about motor. Sometimes we talk about draft. His was just ridiculously hot. Okay. The number two pick in the draft, the
0: Miami Heat selected Michael Beasley. I don't think they they would do that. (laughs) No. And by the way, the red flags were there. This was one where the intel was already out there about potential Michael Beasley challenges right right from the get-go this was a very known factor in the nba but the talent looked so overwhelmingly good the analytics everything about his game just looked so good i think the heat turned the other way and hoped that their culture was going to be able to make the difference for miami and it would have been you know just fascinating to see if he had panned out what would have happened with that Miami Heat team.
1: Yeah, although although I guess it ended up working out because they ended up with the cap room to get LeBron, right? Yeah, okay. I don't think we should credit Michael Beasley
0: <laughs> with the Heat getting LeBron James. <laughs> this is a genius pick. Come on. <laughs> this is brilliant. They're playing six-dimensional chess here. I'm going to select Kevin Love. Great pick. Out of UCLA. Another player that, in my mind, has been a bit unfairly maligned in his career and and he started with a stellar prep career, but there was concern about his weight. That was a really big issue coming into this. Was he going to be in shape? What was he going to be like when he got in the NBA? He was a super athletic player that carried a lot of weight, had some knee injury issues, but from a skill standpoint, his ability to pass the basketball, his ability to do just about everything on the floor, it was always super high. It was how he was going to dedicate himself to conditioning and focus on the game. And I give Kevin Love so much credit. He, he looks incredible compared to where you see these pictures of him in high school and even at UCLA. He got in shape. Yeah. He worked on his game. He played on a really bad Minnesota Timberwolves team for a number of years where I think people felt like the points that he put up were a bit hollow. He gets the chance to join LeBron – He's overshadowed in many ways by LeBron James, but he's critical, and Kyrie Irving to a certain extent, but he's critical to the Cavs winning the title there. And then he, LeBron leaves, and he's left in this really miserable situation in, in Cleveland that came to a head this year. I just think Kevin Love is a much better and more important player in the NBA than he's been given credit for all these years
1: uh author of one pretty significant move that you don't really see much uh guy catches on the elbow fakes a pass then takes a dribble backward to the three-point line and launches uh he did that better than anyone when he was in minnesota you don't see him do it as much quite anymore uh it's a shame his best seasons were kind of wasted on a bad minnesota team because prime kevin love was really good i mean offensively he was just such a problem to deal with because he could play on the perimeter but then if you put a small on him he would just mash the guy in the glass so just just a really talented overall player. and look at his current numbers 18 points a game
0: 11 rebounds a game shot 37 percent from three for his career yeah and and yeah, those he's... inbounds passes incredible his ability to oh, launch yeah. launch the basketball like a nfl quarterback at full court are just incredible
1: yeah probably Nikola Jokic is probably the only guy who can match him in recent NBA history on that
0: would have been a great pick for Miami
1: again I think he's underrated
0: in many ways because of his career but he is an NBA champion and I love Kevin Love and I hope he ends up landing in a good in a good spot for the rest of his career it's the Minnesota Timberwolves
1: they made a smart trade
0: Trading OJ yeah. Mayo for Kevin Love.
1: But by far the best personnel move of the Kevin McHale era. Great trade there.
0: They selected O.J. Mayo, in this case for Memphis. The Memphis Grizzlies, your former team, but you had nothing to do with this. Yeah. We can't we can't pin this exactly. one. <laughs> we cannot pin OJ Mayo. Was a, this was
1: four and a half years before I got there. So um, what do you think? Uh, so here's where I'm gonna go with the uh, short-term supernova over the, over the maybe longer overall career value, and take Derrick Rose. Um, I think ultimately, you know, you're know, you in this to win championships, to have like the elite-level talent, even if for a short amount of time. Uh, Derrick Rose's peak was far better than any of these other players that are left, and he, he was the best player on a team with the best record in the NBA, even though they didn't win the championship uh, his, those two seasons in Chicago were were so good that i think the that alone just puts him ahead of the rest of the board so he's my pick at number three and he looked like he was done
0: like just done done because of the injuries yeah.
1: and he's put together a really nice second act nice nice little renaissance here like he was a really good sixth man for the pistons this year was pretty good in Minnesota the year before. Like he's, it's it's been surprising because I think everyone saw where the trajectory was heading. Like when he, he was with the Knicks and stuff, It was like, all right, here we go. You know, like and uh, and he's kind of had a little renaissance here, which has been really fun to see. Another freaky freaky athlete that when you watched him play at
0: Memphis, there was just times that he did things that your jaw just hit the floor great work ethic if it wasn't for the injuries. And let's say that Derek Rose stays healthy through the 11, 11 years of his career or 12 years of his career, where does he
1: land on this board? Does he beat Russell Westbrook? I'm still, yeah, I'm still not sure he catches Westbrook. That's a tough one. I mean, peak Westbrook was really good. I mean, he averaged a triple double for the year, obviously. Um, I think he probably lands second. I, I, he he would beat out Kevin Love certainly. I I don't know if his career value would be enough to catch Westbrook, even if he had stayed healthy. Uh, Russell Russell got to a really high level. I mean Rose won that MVP, but it was a little bit about the story as much as it was the season and the and the level he was playing at, which was still really high. Don't get me wrong, but. I, th- I think peak Westbrook got to a higher level. Yeah, you take Russell Westbrook's
0: MVP year over Derek Rose's MVP year. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, that's number three, fourth pick in the draft, Seattle Supersonics, the Sam Presti for an incredible run in the draft of taking Kevin Durant, then taking Russell Westbrook, and then taking James Harden, three MVPs, And, by the way, he got Serge Ibaka at 24 in this draft, too. Serge Ibaka at 24, who I think is going to make it into the lottery, or maybe even the high lottery. He will make an
1: appearance on this show, I am predicting. For sure.
0: Incredible drafting. Unfortunately, those guys, Russell Westbrook's not on the board anymore. I'm going to go with a guy that, for a time, was sitting at, like, in the six to 10 range on my big board plummets on draft night and proves everybody wrong. DeAndre Jordan.
1: Yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing story. Yeah. He had a bad year at Texas A&M. Right. But I, you know, maybe, maybe people uh, overplayed that a little. It's harder with college bigs. I've always felt to evaluate them because they're more system dependent. They need people to feed them. They can't just dribble the ball up and shoot it. And I think DeAndre Jordan is a great example. of He, he wasn't in a maybe a great environment there at Texas A&M. Uh, Neil O'Shea, to his credit, who was running the Clippers at the time, grabs him at 35 and uh, he turns into an, an all-star center for the Clippers. And always
0: an elite rebounder good defender never quite became anything really on on the offensive end as a dominant offensive player but has been so good defensively and certainly a guy that can rim run and 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 take yeah. logs see
1: i actually think i actually think his offensive value was pretty good because his rim run was so devastating because you could throw the ball to the moon and he could, could still go up and catch it and dunk it so you really had to tag him hard, and that opened up a lot of other things on the court, even though he was, quote-unquote, just a dunker. So I, I actually think his, his offensive value was more than people perceived, and his defensive value was maybe not quite as what people perceived because the shot blocking was awesome and stuff, but some of the other subtle stuff he maybe wasn't great at. But overall, like a valuable player without a doubt.
0: And he's... He's had a long NBA career. He's still doing stuff
1: in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. So he's still p- piling up value here. He's got he's got three years left on his deal with Brooklyn. So it it helps to have important helps to have important friends, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that's gonna totally pan out great.
0: He's 30, <laughs> 31 years old right now. But I, I think as far as bigs go, he's really had a long and productive career. Fifth
1: pick in the draft. You get a draft for the Grizzlies. (laughs) Ah, nice. Well, this is perfect because I spent seven years with the Grizzlies trying to trade for this guy, and I never could. He would have been so good for us. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, uh, just a lights-out shooter, but even more than that, um, kind of that playmaking 3-4. He could put the ball on his floor, get his own shot, drew a ton of fouls, had some health issues, missed a year in New York with the back. Uh, and that dampens his career totals a little bit, but really a highly valuable player that I think the casual fan maybe didn't understand the value of him because of his floor spacing dimension and the fact that you couldn't hide bad defenders on him even the way you can with some other guys who were, quote-unquote, just a shooter, and so really brought a lot of value there and then was yeah, you know, – I'm not going to say he was like a defensive player of the year or anything, but he was like competent enough at that – end of the court that he didn't hurt you and what he brought you offensively was so good that even though he was never an all-star, I just think the value he gave you positionally from those spots is worth more than anyone else on the board. And it was an interesting pick
0: for the Knicks. Obviously, Knicks fans not loving international prospects, but not only was he good for the Knicks, he was the key piece in a trade that gets them Carmelo Anthony.
1: Yeah. So... Key piece, key piece for the Nuggets, certainly. And, uh, yeah, an, an important part of the Knicks' history, certainly. And, I, honestly, I mean, the Knicks had a couple of good years with Carmelo, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't knock that too much. I, I mean, they certainly were paid in that trade. but I saw
0: Gallinari pay, play over in Italy. He comes from a basketball family. He's one of these guys that just, like we were a little bit talking about with LaMelo Ball, like he just knows how to play the game. And the the yeah. feel for the game, the basketball IQ coming from that basketball family, off the charts. And you wonder a little bit the back injury, some other things. If he had stayed completely healthy his whole career, whether that would have helped his game even more.
1: Yeah, could he have had closer to like a page of Stojakovic career if he had if he had stayed fully healthy?
0: Yeah, that's that's actually a really great comp of of where I think he could be. Okay. We will be back with picks six through 10 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to talk to you about our new sponsor, Built Bars. I'm a runner and I've been constantly looking for a great tasting, low sugar, high protein energy bar really for the last decade. I've tried every brand, but usually get turned off by the high sugar content or chalky bad taste they leave in my mouth. Then I found Built Bars, and I'm crazy about them. They taste better than any energy bar I've ever tried. They're soft, they're chewy, they have 16 amazing flavors, and they are loaded with protein and only contain a few grams of sugar and net carbs. They are the equivalent of a healthy candy bar. For someone who tries to stay away from both sugar and carbs, they're incredible my go-to bar after a run is coconut almond it tastes like an almond joy without all the sugar and carbs and with an incredible 18 grams of protein i'm also crazy about the mint brownie the orange chocolate cream and the salted caramel chocolate i'd probably be crazy about the peanut butter flavors but my wife and daughter snatch them up every time i get a box before i can get a bite the cool thing is that On their website, they let you mix and match the bars that you want in any combination so everyone gets their favorite. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we're back, redrafting the 2008 NBA draft. Russell Westbrook's off the board. Kevin Love's off the board. Derrick Rose is off the board. DeAndre Jordan's off the board. Danilo Gallinari off the board. The Knicks are next with the sixth pick in the draft. And, and to me, there was a bit of a drop-off here. And, mm. and a number of guys that I think have had somewhat similar careers that you could think about here drafting. I'm not sure that there's a clear guy necessarily that I yeah that that I would take over over someone else right here. I'm going to go with Serge Ibaka, the 24th pick in the draft. As we pointed out, a Sam Presti really really nailing this here. And and a player that was interesting because as an international prospect, there was a lot of buzz around Ibaka that people just weren't really sure where he was going to end up becoming as an offensive player. I think defensively, people saw the potential that was there. The question was on offense, what was he going to become? And he became a really nice offensive player that ends up shooting 36% from three throughout his career.
1: Yeah, his evolution as a shooter was a really important story here because that was the part that you couldn't really, you couldn't really pencil in at the time he was drafted, and that's why he was taken twenty fourth, which seems ridiculous now. Uh, but big time shop blocker, rebounder, uh, important part of those Oak City teams, and then obviously won a championship in Toronto this past season, and just been an all around,
0: you know, great great guy uh to have on your team if he did anything that messed up anybody it was the orlando magic trading for him and trading i think it was oladipo
1: yeah exactly. and, and
0: Demonte sabonis for him and then him being a major disappointment in orlando but then coming back and being a critical piece in the toronto raptors run i've uh, i've just always really admired abaca who he is and how he's played the game and again there's nothing flashy about his game but he helped the teams that he played on
1: win at a really high level and and still continues to do it i mean he had one of his best seasons this year so he's still he's still writing chapters in his book and it's really interesting because when he
0: was at orlando i think the feeling the concern was that he there had already been questions about his age and how old he really was and i think there was some concern at when he was at Orlando that maybe he was older than people thought. And he was, he was just tailing off in his career. But as you, as you pointed out, he had a really, really nice season. Okay. You are on
1: the board with the Clippers. Yeah. See, here's where it gets fascinating because this draft is so interesting to me because these guys that we get into now, the arcs of their careers are all so different and so irregular and they kind of defy this idea we have in this head that there's be this clean projection. Oh, he's 20. And then he improves till he's 27. And then he starts going down a little, like all these guys that are kind of left that we're looking at are all over the place. Right. in the course of their careers, um, here's a good example, uh, Brooke Lopez, who, uh, Brooke Lopez is going to be my pick here. So I'll I'll get to that part first. Right. Made the all-star team in 2013 a couple of years later, he's signing with the Lakers for peanuts. Then all of a sudden, he's back in Milwaukee as a major part, as one of the best teams in the league, and getting all defense consideration, which I don't think anyone thought possible when he was drafted. Never. Um, and then the other evolution in his game, which is really interesting, is he turned to a three-point shooter at the age of twenty-eight, basically in Brooklyn. And you wonder if he had done that earlier in his career, if he could have added uh, more more value to his name. So. Really interesting career trajectory here. That's still ongoing. And uh, another guy, I think, who's uh, always been, you know, pretty well-regarded by teammates, uh, good guy to have around. Uh, It's weird. He's basically been durable, except he missed most of two different seasons. And otherwise has been uh, like a 70-games guy every year.
0: And a super goofy guy who has a twin brother who also has had a a pretty solid career in the NBA. Uh, When do you get twin
1: centers that are actually going to both still be playing in the league? Yeah. And, and one of them actually plays offense. So they, they got the Collins brothers beat right there. In my opinion, Lopez is way outperformed where I
0: thought he would actually be as a basketball player. I thought 10 was actually a little bit of a stretch for him. Mm -hmm. And he, as you pointed out, he's made himself into all sorts of things that I just didn't see coming in his career to, to making the player that he was
1: for, for a plodding slow post player, which is basically what he was when he was drafted, right. Uh, to be the guy he is in 2020, uh, at age 31, I think is pretty fascinating. I
0: don't know who to take next. It's the bucks. They're at eight. I know not to take Joe Alexander. Okay. You're, you're already ahead of the game here. Who, was an explosive athlete and a workout wonder. And one of those guys that when you talk about, is it okay that the NBA isn't going to be able to do individual workouts? This is a guy that teams fell in love with in individual workouts because of the athleticism, because of the freaky things. I, I can't remember what it was, but I think it, I think he hurt his chin on the rim in one of the workouts. Like he actually cut his chin on the rim doing a workout for a team and then, you know, that just goes, I mean, he could really, really jump out of the gym. Joe Alexander could. And that became the excitement that got, got everybody, you know, too excited.
1: Important player in uh, Grizzlies lore too. You know, the Grizzlies, uh, this is, this is way before I got there, but they were looking at trading, uh, Mike Conley for Joe Alexander and uh, Ramon sessions. You remember that? I'm going to go at eight for the Bucks with Nick Batum. Yeah, that's a nice pick. You know, you look at the totality of these guys' career rather than just what they've done lately. And when you look at that, Batum really starts to rise because early in his career, he was as good as anybody on this list practically uh, outside of the top three guys. He really was,
0: and the Blazers... Uh, especially those years with the Blazers. I mean, you're talking about a really fantastic basketball player and interesting, an interesting and international player as well that had a lot of buzz early on that you could see it in the workout. He slides all the way to 25th, to Houston, on draft night and never could quite un- understand why Batum slid because if you like watched him at like the Nike Hoop Summit, for example, he... He was good. I mean, it was, it was clear, at least in my mind, that Batum was going to be a really good basketball player. I think this was still in the era where there was still some skepticism about international players, maybe the same with Ibaka, where teams just weren't going to gamble really high on him, even though in this particular case, he, he really was, in my mind, a stud even even before he was drafted.
1: Yeah, and he showed it. I mean, he was able to start uh almost immediately. I think it was in his his second season with the Blazers. Uh he was able to start as a twenty year old for them, right? On a team that was really good and and play an important role.
0: He started seventy six games as a rookie.
1: Okay, I take it I I take it back. Yeah. I'm I'm going from memory here.
0: Yeah, eighteen minutes a game. I only averaged five point four points per game. And so, you know, his role obviously on the offensive and was limited, but doubles that in this next season in Portland, and then just increases from there. What, what happened?
1: Uh, so I, you know, I think he clearly lost a step as he got older and it got really hard for him to, uh, both to create separation on the offensive end. And then he didn't have quite as much defensive value as he had had.
0: He has his career high in points in Charlotte, in 2016, 17, but he's only shooting 40% from the field. And so he's putting up a lot of shots, but they're not going in at the same rate anymore. And then it just starts to drop off a cliff after that.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that summer of 2016, I mean, that was just when every bad contract was signed and he's, he's the last one standing because he got a five-year deal and the other guys all got four. He's, he's, he's the final, uh, the, the final salvo of that, that summer of 2016. So if we were drafting
0: today, Batum would not be the eighth pick, but again, in part, we're looking at the
1: totality of their careers. Yeah, exactly. And not, not just to win a game tomorrow.
0: Charlotte Hornets on the board at number nine.
1: Yeah. So th- they took DJ Augustine. I think I can get him a guard. Who's a little bit better than that. Um, I'm going to go with George Hill. Good. She surprised some people. George Hill over Gordon Dragic over Gordon. So yeah, uh, George Hill and Gordon Dragic was really the the debate here. George Hill, um, his peak season uh, was probably with the Pacers was probably about as good as Dragic's best season in Phoenix. And I think over the course of his career, he got started sooner, retained more of his value even to date than Dragic has. Um, Like he's probably a better player right now than Dragic is. And I I just think his overall career value, just a little higher, more of a two-way player, not as good on the ball, but just such a good outside shooter, good defender, long arms, multi-positional, been a part of a couple really important good teams in San Antonio, in Indiana, and now in Milwaukee. Uh, We won't talk about the Sacramento and Cleveland year, um, and it just has had a tremendous career and is still ticking.
0: Kind of an interesting backstory with him. He, he plays at a small school, comes out of Indiana, classic Spurs pick. They immediately develop him into an interesting player. He actually starts 43 games for the Spurs during the second season, uh, in part because of some injuries to Tony Parker. And it's the 2011 NBA draft. The Pacers are looking for a starting guard. They want to get to the next level. Kawhi Leonard is on the board. The Spurs don't want to trade George Hill. They they love him. He's a big part of their culture. But Kawhi Leonard is falling on draft night. And the Pacers make the infamous trade with a 14th pick, who ended up being Kawhi Leonard, who, believe it or not, fell all the way to 14th because of some injury concerns about his knee, for George Hill. This was George Hill was a really great get for the Pacers, but they'll also forever be known of trading Kawhi Leonard for him.
1: Yeah, such an interesting draft night what if. And I mean, the the balls it took for the Spurs, you know, for all the kind of consistency and people talk about them being kind of boring, monotonous whatever, to dive in at that exact moment and and make a really risky in some ways trade, right? To to get this player uh and what that really extended their dynasty at uh you know, another 5 years and it could have been another dozen years if things had worked out better with them in Kawhi.
0: It was a really big risk for the, for the Spurs and they did love George Hill. And this was a very, very tough trade for them to make. And I think if it had been any other player other than Kawhi Leonard, they don't make the trade and Indiana doesn't get, doesn't get George Hill. It was, it was Kawhi Leonard and, and how they felt like he was going to fit into the Spurs and, and his work ethic and everything else that, that pushed them over the top just an interesting side note about things that happened on draft night. I was privy to some of that information kind of coming back and forth on draft night. I mean, it was touch and go kind of right up into right up until the, the time that the pick was made, whether they were going to do it. But again, that's why the Spurs are the Spurs. And they they made a really, really smart smart move. And, and George Hill, as you pointed out, has had a really nice career. He just hasn't had a Kawhi Leonard type Exactly. Career. Okay. We are on the board now with the 10th pick in the draft. That's the New Jersey Nets. They took Brooke Lopez. You've already selected Brooke Lopez. I'm not going to take Brooke Lopez's brother in response, unfortunately. And this is where I'm going to go ahead and draft the guy who ended up going 45th in this draft. Goran Dragic. Man, what was up with the international players falling the way that they fell in the draft? Dragic falls to 45. Ibaka falls to 24. Batum falls to 25. And they all end up being, in my mind, top 10 players in this draft. And it wasn't like Dragic was some sort of mystery international player. He was having a very good career in Europe. He was very well regarded as a point guard and someone who could play both positions on the floor. And his peak years were really, really good. And he's, like like you said, he's dropped off a little bit, and that's, that's unfortunate. But when you look at the best years, of Goran Dragic. He was a very exciting point guard to have yeah, in the league.
1: Absolutely. And uh very good pick and roll point guard. Really developed his shooting ability, which I think was the key swing skill for him. His rookie year he couldn't shoot at all. Then he came out his second year and he's st- he's making threes and and that just changed the whole game for him. And it, you know, interesting trajectory because again, a lot of these guys it wasn't linear. Dragic went to went to Houston had a good year then had a not so great year, ended up back in Phoenix and then re- really kind of had his best years then out of the blue there, uh, that second tour in Phoenix, uh, and then went to Miami and was able to keep it going for a couple years before he started maybe tailing off the last year or two. Good, good career. A guy I would describe as like an Eastern conference all-star, right? Uh, Wasn't quite good enough to ever crack that list in in the Western Conference, but uh, was able to make it in the East.
0: Two years where he averages 20 points a game, one in Phoenix, one in Miami. And this is one where I'll just slightly disagree with you. I would have had him ahead of George Hill. I I feel like his peak years that year in Phoenix, that 2016-17 year in Miami, were better than the best George Hill years. It's time for another break, John. We'll be back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back, redrafting the 2008 NBA draft. We're at pick
1: 11, the Indiana Pacers were on the yep. board. They took Jared Bayless. And traded him to Portland. Well, let me do something for Indiana here then. Uh, since we're fighting about mid-decade Pacers, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Roy Hibbert right here. The uh, All right. You know, you forget about it. He only played nine years in the league, uh, but he was a defensive player of the year. You know, we talk about in the draft you're trying to get high end outcomes and i think for for a few years there he was a really valuable player on an important team that you know couldn't quite get through miami in the eastern conference finals but they were really good and roy hibbert was really central to what they did made two all star teams somehow only one all defense team and was second team but he was i mean you talk about verticality This was the guy who sort of reinvented verticality in the NBA.
0: He had about six really good seasons. Yeah. In the league. But when they were good, they were really good. And interestingly, in in a different age, does Roy Hibbert
1: do anything in the NBA today? I think it's harder for him because once teams figured out they could drag him out to the perimeter, the game immediately got very hard for him. And, and it was sudden, um, that, that said, I, I think teams have also gotten smarter about playing zone and scram switching and doing some other stuff to protect bigs who aren't super mobile. So I think it would have helped them that way, but you know, offensively it had never had a huge role. Uh, he had a little bit of touch around the basket and stuff, and he was big, he could do some stuff. Uh, you know, I, is it as prominent as it was in 2014? Probably not. Uh, but I, I mean, is there a role for him in the, God, I have to think there's still a role for him in the league. Yeah. Okay. It's the 12th pick in the draft, the Sacramento
0: Kings. Jason Thompson was their pick out of Ryder university. One of these redrafts, we're going to like the Kings pick.
1: (laughs) It'll be the deer and Fox draft.
0: (laughs) But but one of these, we're going to be like, man, the Kings, they made a really great pick. I. I think I know the I think yeah, I know the draft.
1: We certainly narrowed it
0: down. It wasn't this one. I'm going with Eric Gordon here. And to me, Eric Gordon high level scorer, averages 16 points a game for his career, has a couple of seasons where he averages 20 points a game, has a season in Houston where he averages 18 points a game most of that coming off the Mm -hmm. bench uh, for them turned into a pretty good 37% three-point shooter, very highly regarded as a prep. And I think some injuries hurt him a bit, both in college and then uh, later uh, in the pros. But to me, a guy who, as you talk about Someone who has become a classic six man scorer off the bench, can play multiple positions on the floor, and is still going yeah. strong. Averaged average fifteen points a game for Houston this year, dropped off pretty dramatically in his three point shooting this year, but is still plays a pivotal role on a really, really
1: good basketball Yeah, I mean, team. sixteen points a game career, uh had some injury issues, like you said. Uh interesting cause he's kind of a road not taken guy for us too. Um you know that summer of 2016 when everyone shot money out of fire hose. um he was our backup plan if we didn't get chandler parsons <laughs> so that that probably would have worked out better yeah and it's really interesting though right
0: like people were taking chandler parsons over eric
1: gordon there was a there was he kind of got written yeah off i mean they were definitely bit. at the time there were the health concerns about him no question i mean those Four years in New Orleans, or I'm sorry, five years in New Orleans, played nine, 42, 64, 61, and 45 games. So, I mean, there were, there were some injury concerns there, definitely. Uh, but uh, it's, un- it's unfortunate. You know, he, grew, he, he also, you know, grew up playing with Mike Conley, and th- there was just that whole connection there. So I, that, that's one that I think about a lot, just in terms of Rose not taken in Memphis.
0: Well, he landed on a on a great fit oh, of a team for him with Houston. The way Houston plays, it was really a no brainer for him. And I actually think that also his career may have turned out a little differently in Memphis than it ended up turning out in Houston, where I think he he was playing in the perfect system for him.
1: Def- definitely would have been different in Memphis. Yeah, without a doubt. And you just wonder, like, because we we still would have had to rebuild the team, so he'd be he'd be somewhere else right now. Okay, Portland Trailblazers on the board.
0: They ended up trading for Jared Bayless and Brandon rush ends up going to Indiana. Who do you take at 13?
1: Not the Kansas guy. No. Um, I'm going to take, uh, the most underrated player of the grit and grind era. And the one people forget about, uh, Courtney Lee, uh, good outside shooter, good defender, knew how to play. Uh, always kept himself in great shape. Always stayed on the floor. Uh, just a tremendous pro and a good two-way player who, like in a in a playoff situation, really helped you because you could always have him on the court. David Thorpe you. Okay,
0: <laughs> this is David David Thorpe's guy, mm-hmm. Courtney Lee, and a, a, again, a guy that I think coming out of Western Kentucky probably underrated as a player because of that. Career, 39% three-point Yeah, yeah. Three point shooter.
1: Yeah, and uh, beyond that, because um, he was never like a super high-volume three-point shooter, tremendous pull-up shooter uh, in an era where pull-up jump shooting was probably more valued than it is today.
0: All right, that leaves me with the 14th pick in the draft, the Warriors. They took a guy, Anthony Randolph, that I actually really liked. There was so much potential there. It didn't work out for him. And so I've got a couple of options here. I've got Ryan Anderson out of California, who for a number of seasons was the, the stretch, stretch four guy in the league. I have DJ Augustine, who has had a remarkably long career in the NBA. Out of Texas, JaVale McGee is an option. Mario Chalmers out of Kansas. I'm tempted. Robin Lopez, Stanford. I'm gonna go, just very safe here with DJ Augustine.
1: What? Okay, so Mario Chalmers made one of the most important shots in Kansas basketball history, and you're we're not drafting college you're, players. You're just here. gonna turn your back on him. He was a good pro too.
0: He was a good pro, and and I love Mario Chalmers, and I will always love Mario Chalmers. When he hit that shot, uh, I'm I mean, as, as everybody knows, I'm a big Kansas fan. I, I'll never forget it. I was I was at home. My kids were kind of milling around and I leapt off the couch and over the coffee table was the greatest vertical leap of my life screaming. And, and all of my kids started simultaneously crying. They thought like something horrible had happened because of the whelp that was let out at that moment. That was a great, great moment for me. But if I'm talking about longevity in the league and impact in the league, I'm talking about minutes played and just,
1: Overall what's happened DJ
0: Augustine I think has had the better career than Mario okay. Chalmers.
1: Well, I'll tell a funny Chalmers story anyway. Uh you know Grizzlies fans because of that shot were pissed when we traded for him in 2016. And uh but he uh he quickly won them over. He was probably the best backup point guard in the league uh that year we had him until he unfortunately he tore his Achilles and missed out on what would have been a I'm sure a hilarious payday in that 2016 market. So Always felt bad about that, but uh, it, it was interesting because the the crowd turned so quickly from like, oh man, Mario Chalmers, to like, hey, I love this guy.
0: <laughs> it yeah, it doesn't take long, yeah, exactly. does it?
1: All right, let's talk about
0: a few guys that we didn't draft. Sure, Michael Beasley <laughs> went number <Yeah>. two, <laughs> and I know we want to talk about the off court stuff, and that was that was clearly you know, part of it, but that wasn't the total picture for why Beasley didn't become as good as we thought he could become in the NBA. A
1: little bit in between positions, actually. Wasn't quite a great shooter, but wasn't, was a little undersized as a four. So there was definitely some of that going on too. I think, uh, and
0: and some of that fooled us a little bit at Kansas State. He had, he put up huge rebounding numbers at Kansas State, but averaged, 4.7 rebounds a game for his career uh, in the NBA. If I'm remembering yes. that correctly and never was quite the shooter that he looked like he was going to, yeah, he had 12 and a half rebounds a game at Kansas state, which is uh pretty incredible. It was a 38% three, uh, three point shooter at Kansas state, 35% not bad defensively. I think that was another major red flag for Michael Beasley.
1: Yeah. And you just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of times just see the ability and figure guys will get it. Cause usually that's what happens, but sometimes they just never get it. He
0: still plays 11 years in the league. Plays 609 games. Has played more games than Derek Rose.
1: Or, or OJ Mayo. That the most not.
0: games at the top three picks was Michael Beasley's. And that may surprise some people, but yeah, just a massive disappointment. Got multiple chances to turn it around, never did. OJ Mayo, a little bit of the Jabari Parker syndrome, too. When you get labeled in eighth grade or ninth grade as a star, Felipe Lopez, like there's nowhere to go but down, right? And it's impossible for a scout to know in eighth grade or ninth grade, really, what a guy is going to be, and lived with those burdens and those expectations really his
1: whole career what happened you know with I think he could really shoot, but he actually wasn't a super athlete and uh, so that that hurt him at the pro level and then I I think because of all those accolades he didn't totally know who he was as a player and what he was supposed to be and and was trying to be the guy which he's not the only guy to get caught up in that um, and and I don't think he ever quite figured it out. Uh, and then the other thing that happened once he went to Milwaukee, he just he just got heavy. And it a little bit of a surprise
0: that by the age of twenty eight, he's out of the league completely. Now. Oh,
1: absolutely. yeah. because even even his, you remember, I mean, the beginning of his rookie year, he was still really good. And you he, but he, to me, like he started out where he was on more of like a Reggie Miller trajectory where if he was going to make it, it was going to be as this lights out shooter. I think in his mind, he was going to make it as the guy who, Took 23 dribbles and then chucked a pull up, you know, at the shot clock buzzer. And th- that was never the guy he should have been.
0: And, you know, interesting that rookie year, shot 38% from three, averaged 18.5 points yeah. a game. The next year at Memphis was essentially the same season, 17.5 points a game. And then he has that little run in Dallas, right? 15 points a game, shot 40% from three, averaged 4.5 assists a game. And I think that was another thing that we thought Mayo was going to be a higher assist guy, maybe a little bit more of a facilitator than he turned out to be still scratch my head just a little bit on OJ Mayo and why he wasn't able to carve a, a niche in the league. I I get why he wasn't a star in the league, but I'm a little bit surprised given the shooting ability and some of the other things that were there that he couldn't have done. more. I'd
1: completely forgotten about that Dallas season. Let's talk about
0: Joe Alexander. What happened here? Two years in the league, 67 games, played 745 minutes. I mean, this is this is pretty crazy for a number eight pick in the
1: draft. Yeah. I You know, I think it was just obvious from the word go. I mean, they didn't pick up his option, you know, at the beginning of his second season. So they, I mean, they knew pretty quickly that they blew the pick, which is good. I mean, some teams just keep a guy around for four years just to save face. I mean, at least they didn't do that, but...
0: Yeah. Well, they they had him one season in Milwaukee. That was it. He averaged twelve yeah. minutes a game. Plays in eight games for the Chicago Bulls. His career is over. Yeah. One of the cautionary tales to me again about falling in love with workout guys with amazing athleticism.
1: And
0: not I'll much say else. this:
1: you wonder if there had been a G League, if they had been able to salvage that pick a little better. Do you want to talk about Anthony Randolph? You talk about the guys in this draft with interesting career trajectories, right? Because his rookie year uh, looked mouthwatering, right? You see this guy with all the length and he's able to handle the ball and block shots. Uh, never really kind of put it all together though, into a great package. Um, and, Oddly, though, he's had this whole second chapter overseas where he gained Slovenian citizenship and won a European championship and uh, is one of the most important players on uh, Real Madrid, right? And uh, has has really carved out a really nice career for himself over there and is probably now good enough to play in the NBA, for real, but he's doing well enough over there that there's really not much point in it.
0: He's, yeah, he's 30 years old, and... It is really interesting that some people do find a second life in Europe and when they do it's rare that NBA teams actually give them another look to bring them back uh, to the NBA and even if they do come back it's pretty rare that then that transition turns them from really good European player into yeah really good and NBA sometimes
1: player. that could be a financial thing too where they have to go from making 3 million with all their taxes paid overseas to getting a minimum in the NBA So it it could be hard that way too. Well, you've been listening to our 2008
0: NBA redraft. I've been with John Hollinger. We will come back next week and we will tackle the 2015 NBA draft where Carl Towns went number one. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network.